welcome everybody to the Teacher Squad podcast, Spring Term 2024, Episode 1. What have we got coming up, Jane? Well, we're back and I want to talk about a school that makes it with kindness. Oh, I like the sound of that. I think there are going to be some mentions of pans, presents and agent provocateur. Oh, sexy. And uh, I want to know, really, and our guest is going to help us, do we have pen licences? Should we have pen licences? Is it a yes? Is it a no? Mm. And then maybe towards the end, we're going to be doing some irons and lions. Shall we get started? Yeah, let's rhyme for the whole podcast. Or not. (laughs) No, yes or no, pen licences. So much to talk about. Let's get on with it. (laughs) Oh, Heather, it's a new term. It's new you. Have you got some New Year's resolutions? What's going Mm. on? No, I'm not really good at keeping New Year's resolutions, so it's a no for me. What about you? Have you got New Year's resolutions? Well, they're my same resolutions, which is get me bummed down the swimming pool a bit more, which is basically make sure the kits in the car get out the bloody house. Um, I am actually going to um, cry when I want to cry a bit more. I'm going to be a bit more vulnerable. Okay. I did I did, um, I did. less holding back the tears over Christmas because if I wanted to have a cry and I was doing the washing up and I was supposed to be happy, I just didn't pretend. I just had a little cry. And that's quite interesting <laughs> because <laughs> it gets on people's tits. But um, I'm going to go for that. A bit more real. So, yeah, there was a lot Christmas of... Spirit. Is that why yeah, you were waiting for the turkey? Is that is that what the tears were for? <laughs> Just doing a lot more crying. Yeah, yeah. The, the family don't like it, but um, Sodom. So yeah, that that's me really. Um, but all in all, you know, um, I'll tell you what. Um, I am loving new starts and new terms about which I've loved my whole damn life. It's new stationery i I knew that's what you were gonna say did you know that oh my goodness and i have um an academic diary that i buy every year and then i don't keep it i (laughs) i start (laughs) a new diary at the new year just because i can Um, so yeah Mm, because it'll have got on my nerves that i've i've I'd have written in a, an ink that has bled through the paper. So um, any excuse to get a new diary, I know. So, uh, yeah, new term, new stationery. And um, I think if you're a teacher, we've all got those little stationery bits and bobs that we love. And uh, I love buying beautifully stationery. And um, did you know there is a pen awards every year? No. Like a national, yes. What, for like a, a snazzy national- pen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what the criteria is? No. It is. Is it comfortable in your hand, honey? Does it have writing smoothness? Ooh. What is the level of ink smearing? <laughs> Does it 
Does it bleed through the paper? And can it be used uh, by a left-handed uh, writer? And, and do you know, I know, do you know which one? Do you know, I'm going to tell you now, I'm going to tell all the teachers in the universe, the pen that one is a ballpoint, okay. not a rollerball, because ballpoints are going to be less smeary. And the winner is the Uniball Jetstream Retractable. And here it is. I'm holding it up here. Sounds like a rocket. I know. (laughs) I I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's the rocket. It is. It's, you know, think jet stream, think rocket gush. I mean, that is lovely. It's a total delight. It is very smooth. It writes without a hiccup. And, um, you know, I have got, for the first time in my life, uh, my new diary. I got it for Christmas. I didn't even buy it myself. All I'm saying is somebody knows me really well. Thank you, Mr. C. I got a moleskin diary. Colour. And so, well, it's practically moleskin in mole's breath. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> an, an on-trend sort of nude brown. I've got my jet stream. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm raring. I'm ready for the new terms. Is that what is that what you're grateful for, Jane? I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I'm so grateful until I walked in the house tonight with my handbag. There's an exploding pipe, and I think I might have some water wrecking my new diary. But I can't (gasps) even look yet. I've got denial. So yeah, bit gutted about that. But we'll see. We'll see. Are you grateful, honey, for anything? Well, you know me, I'm I'm always grateful. I've always, you know, looking for, for lots to be grateful for. Small things to be grateful for that, you know, cheese and chocolate don't hold any calories over the Christmas holidays. You did know that. You Are you eating these together, Heather? Um, I'm not going to say I'm averse to that, but no, no, not, <laughs> not eating them together. <laughs> but, you know, Christmas is a time for enjoying all that kind of stuff, isn't it? You know, and not really like grateful for loads of presents. In fact, didn't get any presents, Jane. <sighs> what? We decided not. not to do presents. But you know what? I'm totally cool with that. I'm a bit of a kind of hopeless or hopeful romantic, you know, enjoyed all the joy and the priceless things and giving and laughter and and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in the sales, we treated ourselves to not one, but two new pans. I mean, rock and roll. (laughs) Do you mean like non-stick Teflon things? Did you say pans or pants? Because, like, (laughs) this is a big... I'm not as glamorous as to get exciting new pants, Jane. I never did. I wouldn't be telling you about them from here. I'm talking. Listen, babe, the rate you're going, you'll need marriage guidance counselling if you are prioritising (laughs) pans over pants. I'm worried about you, babe. Honestly, it's not going to last long. It's a Jamie Jamie Oliver walk and and a hairy biker's (laughs) cast iron frying pan. From the middle of Lidl. Listen, babe. And I, t- I tell you what, if the glamour pan is the middle of Lidl, right, you and me are going to have to have a, a little talk. <laughs> Listen, I am, I am that glamorous. I am the middle of Lidl aged. <laughs> 
But really, Jane, I tell you what I was really grateful for. Lots and lots of live performances and theatre. We did quite a bit of, of kind of watching performances over the holiday, watching my daughter. I know talked about the Frozen. Oh, amazing. Just oh, chills, just gorgeousness. And, oh, you know, when the voices just come together in that harmony and there's just some magic. That was nice. Went to see The Wizard of Oz when we were up in oh. Liverpool. And the Vivian. Oh, wow. Vivian off um, RuPaul's Drag Race was oh. Wicked Witch of the West. Brilliant oh, wow. performance. I think it's touring, so it's coming near you guys. Go and see that. That was such such a good baddie. Um, went to see Jack of the Beanstalk, um, New Brighton. Had uh, the director who'd worked with my daughter was performing in that. Absolutely br wow. brilliant. And then the best one back down here in Cornwall, tiny little theatre space, a memorial hall in Mousel. Yeah. The Mousel yeah. Cat, you know the book. Oh, yes. You oh, know the story. Beautiful. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, that is worth a trip to Cornwall for. If This beautiful company called Cousin Jack's, and there are just four performers, and wow, what they create, it's just... I'm going to keep going, even when I haven't got a child to drag there with me. I'll just be sat in the corner like some old weirdo lady enjoying the performance. But those are the things that filled my heart with joy over the holes, Jane. Oh, Heather, I tell you what, I mean, you look like you've done the real meaning of Christmas as we exchanged Apple iPhones. So, yeah, <laughs> I think you've probably got it right and we've got it very wrong over here. But, um, I'll put yeah. some nice pants on my wish list, though. <laughs> yeah, I would, babe. I would. Maybe, Otherwise, maybe you year. are going to you're going to go to theatres on your own, and you're going to be <laughs> much weirder than you think you're going to be. Honey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Thank you yeah. for the marriage guidance. Uh, shall we move on to sentence yeah. of the week, Jane? You've had a bit of yes. thinking time, you know. Oh, have yeah. you? I mean, distilled I it down. What have you got? Well, there's. Um, we, we had a lot of data come out at the end of last year, um, and the DFE has uh, announced, and you can find it on the DFE website, uh, that actually we're not doing very well with teacher retention, and uh, we're finding it really hard to attract attract new teachers to teaching unless there's been a bursary. And um, mm. we are nationally 38% below target um, yeah. and we're 38% below new teacher training posts compared to last year and um, actually for the first time in a long time uh, we're not doing very well with recruitment for primary school teachers because we all know that really um, it's interesting secondary school PE teachers uh, do the best for recruitment, wow. uh, followed by primary. Um, no, nobody can get physics teachers. Like, so we've got to kind of offer bursaries. Well, not not me personally, the government. Um, <laughs> but um, I think the reason um, why it's getting harder is because th there is the noise about workload. 
And uh, on average, primary school teachers now are working 52.1 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not very good at maths, but I don't know what point one is there. God, I to, that's... Um, <laughs> don't put me on the spot minutes. like that, Jane. I'm Where's not, my calculator? I'm not. I'm not, but that's a, a lot bit. of hours, isn't it? It's a bit. Yeah, 52 hours and a bit. And a bit. That bit is like, I'll just oh, um, squeeze it all out. Yeah, 53% of primary school teachers just feel like the workload is unmanageable. So my sentence sum up is basically what you already know. Like as teachers, because we care so much about doing a good job, we can easily end up doing too much. Um, and so what we've got to do, but really this is like a, a management got to do. So if you're in a car and you're on SLT, uh, or maybe you're the, you know, the super big guns, you're, um, I mean, head teachers have different names now. I can't, you know, keep up, but super director, uh, big wig, we've got to basically do less and we've got to do it better. So we've got to move to a place called de-implementation. We've got to consider what can be taken off our plate and what can be made easier. And I think in teaching, um, sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees and we need somebody to really help us. And and that's not going to happen by chance you know it's quite complex uh, you know taking things down and they've it's that's also got to be thought through you can't just say oh def it we're not doing that anymore <laughs> it's it's got to be a bit strategic and we've got to have a um a process it's not simply you know i ain't doing that i'm going to cr- de-implementation needs a bit of um time planning and a, and a bit of kind of follow through and then it's that conversation about are there things because actually there might be things that can be stopped immediately or do some things need scaling back and I love the language that I don't know if everybody's found this that the Education Endowment Foundation use quite a lot for introducing things, but also um, considering next directions with schools. They talk about things that are tight yeah. and things that are loose. So, uh, you know, like when I'm listening to, um, uh, you know, like when we're looking at new um initiatives it's like what what in terms of kind of fidelity do we have to be really rigorous and tight about and which can we be a bit softer but um yeah I mean for me some schools are still doing written feedback for pupils um you know who can't even read (laughs) do you know what I mean so we're writing stuff down is it for them because I can't even read it Who's it for? Or um, I've, I've, I mean, it's a bit ironic. And I've seen some schools watching, um, well, they've been forced to watch well-being webinars. And it's like, if you watch a webinar on it, this is going to support your well-being? Like, that's stupid. You know, like, <laughs> we might want to get updated on well-being but that's not it doesn't stop there I watched a webinar I've been done to I feel less stressed you won't no. um 
And then there's just so much in schools that we do have to call out when it's back covering or box ticking that doesn't authentically support pupils' learning. And if you speak to any teacher about sort of – uh, it's often uh, quite swanky technological assessment proformers and things, you know, capturing stuff. Or well, sometimes they're still liking files. It's like, oh, you know, I've got a, just got a dream to get rid of these things that don't work. So for me, this isn't the year of yes. It's got to be the year of less. And like um, yeah, definitely the year of less. And um because so many of our new teachers don't want to stay beyond five years and we want you to stay and we don't want you to turn into cynical, angry teachers who say things like, if you stand still long enough, it all comes back round. We just <laughs> want to, um, we want to make sure that we protect ourselves because we the adults in the room, what we know when we do has the highest leverage on pupil progress. So we, we've got to look after each other. And I just wanted to mention this school, like loads of schools have come back this week, uh, but actually I was working in a school and their first training day was January the 2nd. <gasps> like that's hard. I know. So I was in a school on January the 2nd. Everyone's a bit fragile. It was in Luton, and I've had permission to talk about this school. Uh, this school had Ofsted three weeks before Christmas. Ugh. Right. Horrid. And uh, this school is called Hilborough Junior School. And um, the day I was there, their Ofsted report arrived. And um, just... Just when they thought, you know, got to come back on the 2nd of January, they, they came back to this. And this, uh, this school's outstanding. And uh, they hadn't been done for a long time because they were outstanding previously. And, though you know, they might not have been outstanding this time. But one of the things that was so gorgeous that became the reason they got that label. And I know we're having big conversations about you can't, uh, distill schools down to one word and I know that's another agenda but can I just read this little moment from the report because this to me against all the backdrop of negativity about Ofsted I think there is a true and real sense that they are listening because the reason why they got an outstanding was because of kindness pupils attend a school where excellence is standard they delight in the many languages spoken in school and love translating for pupils who speak English as an additional language but share the same first language. Yet, it is the language of kindness that is spoken most loudly in this school. Compassionate words and caring actions are in abundance. Pupils share the view that the kindness they bring into the world has a way of boomeranging back to them making the school and the world a better place wow well done to and, that school. Um, and you can feel it can't you i um you know as much as you might say oh you know we we, we know it needs to change we also know we need an a, accountability measure but 
that school, you know, getting judged uh, to such a high accolade for kindness. I think that's a very uh, brave move on the Ofsted team and congratulations to them. Well done, Hilbert Junior School in Luton. Ooh. Kindness is, yeah, it sounds like they've been recognised for looking at the child as a whole, which we would very much approve of. Mm. Thinking about the, the, the less on the plate, it, I feel like we've heard the phrase um, smarter, not harder for, for quite a while, but actually that in practice, like you've said, is, is really quite difficult and it's a culture shift, isn't it? If you've worked in a place where X is expected of you and then somebody says, well, actually, we're not doing that now. We're going to shift to this. Actually weaning some teachers off those things is a job in itself, isn't it? Even though they recognise that they want less on their plate. It's very difficult to judge which plate to, to stop spinning, isn't it? But steering your ship by thinking about what has the impact on the pupils and the pupils as a whole, not just the data number that sits upon the top of their head, um, is something that should sing, you know, for, for the leaders in schools, shouldn't it? Absolutely. And I'm going to put in the show notes uh, a guidance report on de-implementation so mm. that there is this real practical sense of let's just take something away, but think about how the, uh, we have a strategy uh, around it. So, mm. yeah, Heather, have you, have you got something that you want to get off your plate and share with me? Can you <laughs> sum it up? Get off my chest. That is not in some snazzy new underwear. Um. <laughs> Agent provocateur, just saying. Give that oh, a go. It's a long time since I've had, uh, Let's not talk about that. Anyway, anyway, I've been thinking about over the holidays, there's kind of crackers. We've got jokes. There might be some Christmassy games about and loads of quick family quizzes or quizzes on the telly quite like a bit of Richard Osman's House of Games. Do you like that one? Bit of a daytime yeah. one, but you can binge it on channels later on, can't you? I love a bit of the answer smash where you have to put two bits together. Um, and I was chiming back a little bit to our chat with uh, Tim Rosinski and we played the word ladder game. So my, my sentence is quite simple, Jane. It's let's play with words. So I've oh. got a few little ways that we can play with words that just build confidence with pupils and kind of fun, you know? So first yeah. one I want to introduce you to are kangaroo words. Have you heard of kangaroo no. words? No. So kangaroo has a joey in the pouch and the, inside them. So the kangaroo word is a word that has a synonym inside it Ooh. for example for example yeah. masculine has the word male within it chicken oh, has, chicken yeah. has the word hen honorable mm. has the word noble blossom the word bloom encourage Ooh. has the word urge exists 
is I could go on, Jane, but aren't they fun? Yeah, they're really good. I always find it fascinating um, that the word uh, listen is an anagram of silence. Mm. Yeah. I th- there's, there's lots of play that we can do with words and lots of noticing that we can do for our pupils. Um, spotted yeah. something on Instagram. See if I've got yeah. my glasses on. Let's Not book silence, a by the way. Account. Silence. Sorry. Silence. I just changed oh. my mind. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> reverse, Rewind. reverse. Rewind. Let's get this. I thought you were uh, sorry pretty, to interrupt pretty, you big there, on, honey. pretty big on spelling, aren't you, Jay? If anybody wants to work with Jane Shut on up. spelling. <laughs> Shut up. Just edit that out, whoever's in charge. Ian, edit that she, out. She is really good at it. She, know, she does know her stuff, people. <laughs> anyway, Instagram oh, saw a post from Let's Book Huddle saying, I hate to break it to you, but if you're an avid reader, you might not be a bookworm. Instead, you might be a book dragon who hoards books like treasure or a book phoenix who comes to life whenever a book is in hand. Perhaps you're a book bear who doesn't leave the reading chair during winter months or a book bee buzzing between the multiple unfinished books at once. I thought that was really nice. I thought that was something that you could play with with your pupils. I'll leave that with you, Jane. What kind of book animal are you? Spotted a a bit of a bit of a play on words poem in the uh, Reading for Pleasure Facebook group. Uh, John Bidler said it was Brian Bilston. Uh, it works better on paper, but I'm going to do my best at reading them aloud. It's my year in diets, Veganuary. <laughs> this one's the tricky one, February. Get your teeth yeah, around that. Got Starch, it. Capril, May Caroni Cheese, <laughs> June and Tonic, July Cream. August sticky toffee pudding, September, October own. <laughs> Quite like that one. <laughs> November, December. I thought, you know, lots of playful yeah. things that we can do with that. Are you doing dry January, Jane? Yes, yes. Uh, and it's it's dry, isn't it? It's really crap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just made me think rabbit. a little bit of a previous episode where we were talking about another another dry uh, thing that you gave yeah. some advice for some women, but we won't go there. Um, no. I saw um, uh, um, thinking about words. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, thinking uh, about Miss Bush. Yes, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> Miss Miss Beanie on Instagram had worked with her yeah. class and she'd posted this great little thing and also uh, teaching in good company. They'd chosen, instead of, you know, a New Year's resolution, which, no, you know, I said I don't do it, you can't stick to it, having a word that you choose to navigate your year by. So teaching in good company has selected the word nurture, for the year and I thought that was really great and Miss Feeney with her class had done that given them loads of words that they could select from and then created this piece of artwork so it's like steering the ship of their year so mine mine is we we, we use this quite a bit on the podcast actually um 
mine's going to be noticing my words of the year and it's about noticing um about myself like when I've done stuff well and trying to do more of that when I didn't respond very well what happened you know what happened there but also in people instead of being quick to react uh, kind of noticing where they're coming from I think that's you know that's that's going to be be my word but I'm going to put in the show notes um, a blog from one of the research schools. So if, if uh, teachers haven't had a look at where their local, uh, that well, their nearest research school is, that's a good thing to, to do. And what their purpose is, is to uh, disseminate some of the great research from the Education Endowment Foundation. And there's, there's a blog on... Um, Cornwall Research School and it's about this play with words and it talks about a teacher called Alison Nimmo at Five Islands Academy on the Isles of Scilly even further away than me Jane and (laughs) doing some explicit teaching about morphology and etymology you'd love this Uh, I do love it yeah and it's linked actually the um the guidance notes from the EF are um linked to primary science and looking at how we can build uh, pupil vocabulary and that can uh, develop your science teaching but she'd given them some structures um, and allowed the kids to have a play with the morphemes and invent some new words so they came up with some new words jane astrovore a space creature who travels the galaxy eating stars chronocide to kill time <laughs> i like that one and try eruption a volcano erupting three times and you could see how these kids you know had had fun and had a play but actually they were learning about the chunks of words and how they compete them together in the actual um guidance uh, there's an example from year one where the children are being taught about herbivore um carnivore and I thought oh you could have a little bit of fun with them couldn't you and take it a step further than the teacher and the guidance has done and you know you could come up with different vores you could be a strawberry vor or a pizza vor or a cheese or chocolate vor like me (laughs) yeah yeah that's really good I like that the little chunks of meanings within words love that And, and the invention aspect yeah really good so I just yeah. want to say to people, how often do you play with words with your class and being playful, you know, a bit daft, being able to laugh at yourself and feeling comfortable and encouraging the children to be OK with mistakes and, and that actually being something new and building confidence with words. So have a play with words, everybody. Yeah, I love that. And um, the other day when I was having my hair done, um, they've just brought magazines back in my hairdressers because I've really missed them you know when you have to read you know the latest you know uh, cosmopolitan whatever it's called you know article on how to be a good wife or some crap like that but uh, yeah apparently um, sex is adult playtime they told me in big font so yeah I just thought you know we've all got to play play. you know (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll be in the kitchen oh, with my new pans. <laughs> I'm crying in the kitchen as well. I'm all right. Are you all right? No. Oh, Maybe dear. we should move I on to our you- guest, Jane. Yeah, let's do it because actually I know she'll like a pen or two. I'll tell you, I bet, I bet she does because she is a handwriting expert. Yeah, we, we could ask her about that, can't we, Jane? So we've got Nikki Parr, founder of Better Handwritten Limited. She works with schools to develop knowledge and systems and provide the ongoing support needed to establish high quality handwriting teaching and achieve transformative results. Should we get her in? Ooh. Yeah, let's go for it. Hello, Nikki. Welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast. Uh, Lovely to have you here. Oh, well, hello. And thank you so much for inviting me. Really exciting. We're very excited to have a good old chat to you about handwriting. I'm aware as as I'm chatting, I've got my pen in my hand. I'm kind of always always ready for business, always ready for a bit of on-the-go marking. But if you had to pick a pen of choice, I've got a bit of a sharpie fine line on the go at the moment. Are you a fountain penner, ballpoint, gel pen? What's your pen of choice? It really depends on what mood I'm in and what I'm using it for. (laughs) Go on, give us some examples. So I've got a really lovely Mont Blanc pen that was a gift. And when I'm doing any kind of longhand writing for myself, book writing, blog writing, I use that. Nice. Um, One of my absolute favourites, though, is a really cheap, basic Sadler uh, fine liner. I use it for modelling all my demonstration videos. Uh, ah. It's just one of the, it's really smooth and it doesn't bleed because when you're demonstrating, yeah, slowly, and so you don't want the ink to be bleeding. Um, but like mm. most people, I've got a drawer full <laughs> of pens, all colours. Yeah, a graveyard of pens. <laughs> I quite like a different. You know, when you've got a fountain pen, I quite like a pink or a purple ink. Yes, yes, I've got green too. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> mm. I had a turquoise in the 80s when I was at school and I thought I was so in, you know, with this, uh, you know, array of ink. You can get lilac as well, can't you? Lilac, I, nice. Yeah. I don't remember the yeah. colours back then, but I do remember spending most of my secondary school life covered in ink. <laughs> you had to write in, in fountain pen. If you forgot your pen, you had to go and pay 30p for one at the library. And uh, yeah, mm. I just had a pot of ink and I was frequently covered in, in spots of it. <laughs> yeah, I remember working at Budgin's supermarket and it was my first Saturday job as a Saturday girl. And we wore A-line, hessian, orange and brown, big, long collared um, sort of, uh, not, it's not a costume, is it? What is that called? Staff uniform. A uniform. And, uh, <laughs> thanks, honey. Lots and of people I have real them. jobs, Jane. They don't dress up and pretend. You know, it's, it's real, real life. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a fountain pen in my pocket and on my first shift I had like blue ink all across my midriff you know bleeding from one pocket and my, and uh, I thought oh I'll sort this out at home with a Brillo pad oh, and they wouldn't give me another I oh, know yeah rubbish so yeah. yeah 
from that day was never a fan of the old fountain pen. Um, but what I wanted to ask Nikki, I don't even know if this is related to handwriting. Have you got a favourite font on a computer? Oh. Ah, yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, so Calibri is the one I use for, for all of my work. But to be honest, it's a bit like, you know, when you go to the supermarket for a, for a jar of pasta sauce and <laughs> there's just 100 types and you spend 20 yeah. minutes just trying to decide which one. I'm finding it like that with fonts now. You know, there are so many, yeah. aren't there? And uh, so, so Yeah. But is there a font that replicates good handwriting style? I mean, is there one out there? I mean, is it yeah. infant Sassoon? Is that the best one? I never know for a the teacher. Thing, the thing I've come to is, and, it, and based on some of the research by Karen James, who's in America, um, you know, early on when young children are learning letters and learning formations and recognising and, and getting them locked in, into memory, they need lots and lots of handwritten examples. Once those examples are locked in, they, it doesn't, we don't need to keep replicating uh, a font that's imitating handwriting. Ah. Mm. Oh, wow. You know, a game changer. You yeah, can read anything, can't you? Like, you can read anything. You know, a new font, I mean, some of them are quite tricky to read, actually, because they're a bit arty and things, but... Yeah, once your brain has done that pattern seeking and it's encoded, you know, that representation. Um, so, you know, they, there was a time when I go into schools and, you know, people felt they had to have all of their displays in a font that mimicked handwriting. And uh, we don't. We don't. And, and children need that variety as well. Oh, I like that. Wow. I can hear so you People scribbling and, and rapidly changing their display policies as we uh, <laughs> not in your car, people not on your commute. But it's a symptom, isn't it? Of like you know, because we really feel we've got to be doing the right thing, and we don't always, you know, we can sometimes assume the right thing. And this is where some of the research that's coming out, and there's not as much as I'd love, love to see yet on handwriting, but there is some really key key stuff there, which is great. Particularly, in WAP. Um, so, sorry that um, you know what I just said there about the early encoding. You know, we it's this link to reading, um, and it's recognizing and sort of making sure that we all understand just how important the handwriting role is in learning to read. And tell us more about that because I've been reading about that myself lately, and um, you know, you'll be an expert at that very specifically with the link with handwriting. Well, Can you tell is, us? Yeah. For me, yeah, this is my focus, isn't it? So there's so many things, and I have this privilege of focusing on handwriting every day and sort of really niching down, and, and I've still got so much to learn despite where I am. But that's kind of what I do. I'm, 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 I'm working to find this way to bridge and share that information so that people can, you know, really feel confident in their practice in, in classrooms. But, yeah, this is the, as I said, the, it's the early encoding. So what I've come to understand is that if you think about the way our brains have evolved, we've been speaking for or making sounds for such a long time, you know, 100,000, 200,000 years, 
writing, we only developed about 5,000 years ago. And so our brains have evolved to be able to, to, you know, perform this skill. It's a very complex skill, one of the most complex, like reading that we ask young children to develop. So, um, yeah, an area of the brain basically recycled itself. So that, so the part of the brain that we use for facial recognition, for object recognition, uh, which very much involves mirroring, um, is recycled. And that's where our, our letter recognition gets stored. So, um, so that's the first, you know, first part in the pathway for learning to read, isn't it? And that sensory movement, the the way that we, the whole body is involved in forming the shapes of, of letters is really important. When we're typing, you know, it's fantastic. And I'm a big tech fan. You know, it's tech, it's, uh, it's keyboard, it's a different skill. We're touching flat keys and when our brains aren't getting that sensory feedback from, from the shape formations. Interesting that you talk about the typing. There would be some, uh, I'm going to go devil's advocate on there, who say, well, do we still need to continue to focus on handwriting, you know, in year six, in the, when we do writing assessment, we, the, there's a firm judgment in there about the writing being joined. Is is that important? Do we need to focus on that? Or is there a point before where we can say, well, they've got to this stage and that's okay because in the future they can they can type, they can dictate, you know. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think the overall thing is when you look at the way the curriculums are set up, all of the guidance, and there is some really good guidance, you know, hidden in plain sight throughout documentation um, that is going right from the start and, and leading up to children being able to use cursive in, the, in, in England by the time they leave primary school. And then oh, there's nothing at secondary. And, of course, that's, that's based on an assumption that they will have developed the skill by the time they leave primary. Um, what's tending to happen is we don't have... Um, adequate or sometimes even any teacher training on handwriting. Uh, I think there again is an assumption that because we can all write, we can teach handwriting, but it's actually you know more complex. There's a lot of um, background knowledge and support in terms of putting systems in, in place that is needed. So, <clears throat> in answer to your question, what I would like to see is. Um, Children, if, if we don't have it in, then people won't teach it. That's the bottom line. If you take it out, it will just disappear and, and it won't get taught because we're so under pressure. We're so, the curriculum so loaded. You know, if we can let something go, we will. But there is, there is evidence in, in terms of it supporting spelling. Um, and I'm thinking specifically in terms of cursive here. And... Um, just handwriting in general, that the way that it slows us down is something that's really key. So typing, transcription, you know, very, very quick. My analogy is always if you imagine like a jet ski skimming across the top of the water and the spray going everywhere, we need, you know, typing is great for that. Um, 
But if we want to sort of go deep and, you know, allow our, our thinking to really surface, um, then handwriting's got a really important role to play. And I think teaching handwriting isn't just about how it looks on the page. It's, it's about helping children understand the ways that we can benefit from it. And we can only do that if we understand that as teachers. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, you know, ultimately we want to teach children cursive and then they will move to part cursive, which is what we all use as adults. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't want you to seem interested in my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought as an adult, by being part cursive also that was, it was almost like naughty that we were lazy and we'd kind of dropped all the cursive things we'd learned yeah. but right. actually <laughs> recognizing that as almost that's where it evolves to and then going back to that thing Nikki you said about reading is it and are we as teachers in a place where we're trying to get fluency in reading and we're all working on that around the country? And it's the next thing that we want is kind of fluency in handwriting. Is it about, look, if it's fluent, then your ideas can flow oh, on the page. Absolutely. But it's a, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that because it's such a complex Damn. skill. <laughs> <laughs> we... Um, you know, young children, they're still developing, aren't they? Their visual perception is still developing. Their whole ability to control their bodies is still developing. You know, this is why these underpinning gross motor skills, where they're using their whole bodies and developing core strength, and then their hand-eye coordination, you know, all of these things that have, have been affected to some degree through the p pandemic experience, of course, it's um it's yeah it's but it's it's definitely about getting this skill automated so that it's not taking up you know any of their capacity in working memory mm. and the, the biggest thing i think that can get in the way for children is anxiety you know you just said heather i think i don't want to show you my hand right <laughs> Listen, I've got a fantastic front of the class. Look at this beautiful model. I'm shared writing. I'm, you know, doing my thinking. Yeah. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's scrolling. Yeah. And that's natural. That's all of us. I mean, I think this, this, but we've got to really think about this sense of judgment. I mean, I went into school one day and was just being shown around the classrooms and the, the displays, fantastic, loads of wonderful teacher handwriting, loads of great kids handwriting. Um, and I'd been into one room and then the teacher ran down the corridor after me and she said, you know, when you've finished looking around, would you mind coming back and showing me your handwriting? Your <laughs> was, handwriting? <laughs> My handwriting. Yeah, Under well, pressure. <laughs> you're going into school to like... <laughs> And my heart, I was literally thinking, oh, oh no. Um, I did it with a shaky hand. <laughs> it's my preferred right. font, Wibble Wobble. <laughs> I try and make it clear to people that, you know, my writing is functional. It's like, it's the whole point for me is you, you got to feel okay with your handwriting. There's that emotional thing to really think about. We need it to be legible so you can read it back yourself and other people can read it. And you want it to be useful because if you feel bad about handwriting, you're not going to use it. You're not going to use it for list making. I think I heard you on one episode, Jane, um, saying about you couldn't think if you don't write and doodle. 
and, and <laughs> yeah, you're nodding, nodding, nodding. <laughs> and I can't again, think full stop today. <laughs> <laughs> again, this has been shown in research that, you know, the writing by hand helps us with processing information, helps with creativity. I guess that slowing down that allows this stuff to rise. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole a whole host of things. But judgment, and I think, you know, having I, – I was a class teacher for 24 years, um, and, you know, that feeling of knowing someone's going to come in and may make a snap judgment about your children and you as a teacher by looking at your book. Um, so there's a lot of, um, yeah, a big sense of judgment. And that's one of the things that I work really hard to do is to let go of judgment and let's replace it with interest and curiosity. Hmm. So, uh, in, in classrooms, what is it that teachers could really focus on? So our listeners range in their teaching experience. What? So Maybe if we've got an ECT and they're thinking, this is really making me think about handwriting. I thought it was just this add-on we do for 15 minutes a day. They're, they're kind of going, okay, this is this is really important, this. What are some of the key things that they can focus on, you know, from tomorrow in the classroom this week? So the, 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 the main things that I support with are developing knowledge, but then very much helping put systems in place. I'm a big fan of James Clear. I don't know if you know of him. There's book yeah, Atomic yeah. Habits. Atomic Habits, uh, yeah. He's got a great uh, quote, which is, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. And what I would encourage people to do is just, you know, go in tomorrow or go in and think about your systems for practising handwriting. Like, when do you do it? Is it consistent? What's happening? To, so I always, when I do training, I always I think, uh, give people a handwriting, you know, a book to be a handwriting journal or encourage them to get one. And the first thing is just to start noticing. Uh, again, I think you you had a nice phrase for, you know, what we do as teachers, you have a noticing necklace, like it's catching yes. those moments, noticing what's going on. Um, and we often don't have time or we, we don't think we've got time to do that but you you can't teach handwriting if you can't don't see what's happening yeah so my first bit of advice would be get yourself a nice notebook call it your handwriting journal and just start to to watch what's going on you know and uh, and think about the systems you've got in place the systems that Nikki do you um I am listening ever so intently uh, and just remembering that Ofsted told me I had awful handwriting. I don't know whether to wear that with a badge of honor. I don't know if like, wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was atrocious. But um and um actually since being told that, I have done a lot of reflection on because that was donkey's years ago actually, uh, about handwriting. And um, in the slowing down, do you promote, and I don't know if you have an opinion about this, but this idea of almost like um, a ditty or a patter. So if it was the letter B, you know, start at the top, go down slow, halfway up, round you go. I mean, does it help children if they've got these little rhymes uh, in terms of letter formation to help them? Yeah, you'll see in uh, any of the phonics schemes where 
there is a requirement for handwriting to be included. There will always be the, the ditties, the little rhymes to help. Uh, there's a couple of things with that. I mean, with my demonstration videos and videos, um, I do directional instructions. So I would go like start just under the line above, down, bump, back up and over and round to touch. So I give very specific instructions, sort of directional instructions. And, you know, encourage children to be saying those quietly out loud or, you know, to themselves. So their instruction as, you know, instructing the hand until it becomes automatic. Um, I think sometimes we've got to be just mindful with the ditties. You've got to think about where, if they're related, for example, to mountains and animals and things, making sure the children really can see what they we think they see. Um, and then, yes. you know, deciding at what point you can move away from that because, you know, it will help to a point. Um, but in terms of children, that one of the things that doesn't often get addressed initially, we tend to think always of the letter formation, but we need to be very aware of spatial awareness and teaching children how to use the lines. That's where yeah. I always start, mm. now, you know, because often they are writing between lines. Some children actually write their writing through the lines, um, and it, that's just evidence Finger that spaces. That's yeah. just they, yeah, no spaces, big mm. spaces. <laughs> um, yeah, I've decided that whole section on spacing to my to my resource library. Yeah. So yeah, we, we, we yeah what we're doing in all of these things, whether we're demonstrating, whether we're talking, whether we're saying, we're basically helping them to focus their attention and awareness. And we see so many examples where clearly that hasn't happened because they've done the best they can and ended up forming a letter in their own way. And then they've repeated that and it's become automatic. So, so much of the work I'm doing is helping to then unpick those issues and help them um, form letters in a way that's useful for joining and, and that are clear to read. And as I'm listening there, it makes me reflect that actually probably many key stage two teachers, if there are already uh, very precise kind of directional bits of advice for letter formation that have been used lower down in the school, you know, do we know about them, you know, in yeah. year five and six? Uh, because I think, um, you know, we, we, we know of so many kids who are doing kind of weird letter reversals or starting in strange places. And I never know, actually, even as an adult, what I should be doing with an S and an F in terms of joins or partly cursive, you know. Um, yeah. And that can change as well if you move schools. Uh, and then you can have some schools that are very, very particular uh, about, um, how they produce letters and then that can almost cause it own, your own form of stress can't it especially if your marriage is on the rocks and then the letter <laughs> f can tip you over the, the edge <laughs> absolutely I, you know, I think we have to again you have to bring it back to like functionality and you know and you know being real being realistic because um, also once once you've got children with that kind of very uniform, if you like, you know, script that we've taught them through primary, that they're, I always then, once they're confident with that, I encourage them to start to make personal changes. 
because one of the wonderful things about handwriting is just how it's part of our identity. And, you know, I can remember as a teenager, you know, changing the way I formed S's and, you know, it was, it was the age of, wasn't it, putting little circular, circular dots or hearts above letters and, you know, <laughs> Start to start to flex your handwriting muscles when you when you get to be a teenager. You kind of you know you make yeah choices. figuring out your signature and then yeah. scrawling it, scraping it with your compass into the top of your tin pencil case. <laughs> That's what everyone did, didn't they? Not just me. <laughs> yeah, a few trees as well. <laughs> Can I ask you one? controversial question this is my last question for you um and people fall on different sides you know jane's talked about you know this dodgy marriage this 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 can split up colleague friendships <laughs> and you know you can answer this with a one word answer or you know you can tell us a little bit more but i'm going to ask you this question pen licenses yes or no no oh <laughs> are you just gonna just leave it on the no no I am gonna you know I, I genuinely it's a it's a it's a I've got a blog on this and you know I understand the premise I understand the idea is to like motivate and you know make children aspire to something but actually it's just not fair it's not a fair playing field and it's actually shaming for children who, who don't achieve them um and that stays with them Right. You know, I work with adults, too. And there are people who feel that um, anger about it years later, years later. It stays with them. And that's that's not what we're in the business of doing, is it? We're not in the business of shaming. And, you know, we, we're, we're in the business of teaching. Um, so absolutely not. No, nobody wants to be 41 and still working for their pen license, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Please can I have one, Jane? <laughs> no. <laughs> Keep putting hearts on top of your eyes, young lady. <laughs> I am not that frivolous. Really frustrating as well is, you know, um, it's it's expecting children to write in a way with, in pencil before they can use a pen. How can you learn to use a tool if you're not allowed to, you know, let your yeah. brain calibrate and, you know, get used to it? Um but again, I've been into a couple of schools. Sometimes children in year five are still writing in pencil because, it, the, you know, the teachers are, and it's, again, I'm not saying this is the fault. It just shows the, how the teachers are feeling. It's like they're worried that the books will start to look messy. I've even seen schools where they've started in pen and taken them away. But you've got to go through the messy bit, haven't you? You've got to go through it. You've got to <laughs> get it all. God, that's, that's worse than a pen license. You had it and you had it taken off you. Oh, Trauma. my goodness. But, yeah. It's fear-based, isn't it? It's fear-based. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, God. Well, um, thank you, Nikki. You, you have that. really, truly uh, given us a lot to think about and uh, actually some very practical ways forward. Um, I think there's so much more we can do as teachers to kind of get under the skin of some practical guidance for kids to hook onto and I do think um, in key stage two particularly we can't assume that it's going to be okay and we need to find lots of ways to kind of make those small changes and that slowing down that you talk about um, and noticing what they need to be that little bit better so thank you Nikki lots of practical mm -hmm. advice 
Thanks, Thank Nikki. You. We are going to put the link in the show notes, uh, but look out for Nikki's new podcast coming very soon called, what's it called, Hand- Nikki? Handwriting Matters. Handwriting Matters, so where you can have lots more information uh, about handwriting. Thank you so much for joining us, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you, Nikki. So, Heather, um, I've um, done a lot of reflecting over the Christmas, actually, and um, I honestly could not believe, and I really do think it's getting worse, um, the price of food. And it made me think ever such a lot about actually how are families coping i mean vegetable oil uh is has gone up by 68 percent they say um was one pound 40 last year is now three pound 97 oats is go, are going through the roof they're a pound last year now three pound 50 and utterly butterly was a quid is now 195 i mean we we say it very glibly the cost of living crisis but since april a basket of food has risen by 23.9% i mean grocery prices are soaring um and this year uh, uh rewind 2022 to 2023 more than 800,000 patients were admitted for malnutrition or nutritional deficiencies. Now, food insecurity is so real and UNICEF um, has examined relative child poverty and between 2012 and 2021, the UK is the worst performer among 39 uh, countries uh, mm. it's just disgusting yeah. and we've got this is a failure of the government it's utterly catastrophic and the government have have never even stepped into a state school and they cannot even be bothered to do anything about food insecurity and ensure kids have hot meals. So many families are falling through the net. Um, it's just so sad. It's heartbreaking. Food prices. It is heartbreaking. It's, it's just awful and something needs to be done quickly um come on a general election that's all i'm saying um there you go it made me think though um when i was at school and um and in year five the equivalent of year five it wasn't called that then and that was 1981 um we read a book uh, as a class called this, uh, The Family from One End Street. And um, it, this, is a, this is a really interesting book um, because it's sort of been grafted on my mind, uh, but I've only recently picked it up again. And um, I've got very fond memories of this. And, and going back to have a look at it, it's actually... Um, it's a real rollicking read. It's kind of 
episodic and it's about a dustman and his wife who are proud of their seven kids there are it's a life of one big happy family um and um, they're so and this is just a line from it they just this is a great line from it the dustman and his wife were proud of their numerous girls and boys mm-hmm. and this all is it's all hyphenated now. All gr- this whole thing's hyphenated. All growing up, fine and strong, one behind the other, like steps in a ladder. And the hyphens mm-hmm. are like steps in a ladder. And uh, there's tons of them. And um, <laughs> I just, it was first published in 1937. And it's, wow. and it's, basically makes it's like working class hero kids and their lives and it's a complete opposite to Enid Blyton's you know lashings of ginger beer and Mm. golly gosh and spam sandwiches and it's completely nostalgic and charming and um lily rose helps her mum out um with her laundry business and uh lily rose often mucks things up and here's a little moment of her mucking it up um now, Lily Rose had heard much about the difficulties and dangers of ironing artificial silk. And although she had never attempted such a thing before, she was not deterred. The, <laughs> this great thing she knew was not to be done with an iron that was too hot. So she spread out the petticoat carefully, took what she thought to be a cool iron from the stove and began. She made one long sweep up and down with the iron and oh, what is happening? The petticoat was shrinking and shrinking and shriveling up, running away before her very eyes. Smaller and smaller it grew while Lily Rose gazed fascinated as if rooted to the spot and her eyes and mouth round O's of horror <laughs> yeah but she mucks loads of things up she shrinks a jumper and her brother joe goes i can't breathe i can't breathe and the sleeves they're all wrong and it's just like the chaos <laughs> of the kids trying to help out just mucking it up all the time I, I mean i really um i loved it when i was young and then coming back to it it was just uh great to come back to uh, but a lot of joy yes. in that book about about how the family make ends meet. And yeah. um, and it's just, you know, it's like 1937. It feels like it's in the arc, but <laughs> we're dealing with things that are tougher and harder, actually, I'd yeah. say, nowadays. I mm. think that extract, though, is a good advert for banning irons. You know, I'm a big believer in just shake it out. Shake it out. <laughs> Yeah. I'm so classy, Jane. Oh man, <laughs> here I am. I've got a, I've got my my stiff collars on that have been starched and ironed precisely. I mean, yeah. we are the yin and yang, you know. And my ancient provocateur bra is digging in me, uh, in me skin. <laughs> but you know, you do you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite phrase of yours, Jane. You do you, babe. Who's crying more? Me. (laughs) Crying more. 
<laughs> shall, shall I tell care. you about my book that I've brought today, Jane? Yeah, will you? This, will this you? little book uh, came out at the back end of, of last year. 23 is now last year. And uh, and it yeah. caught my eye in the um, in the bookshop. Uh, just holding it up. It's got a bit of a foil on the thing, so it's a bit blinging. So it's uh, Oscar's Lion by Adam Barron, and it's illustrated by Benji Davis. So it's a lovely little hardback um, with a nice dust jacket, and, and you know, it's a, it's a nice little size. It's quite quick read if you're in, you know, lower key stage two. Um, I'm going to read you the, the beginning where Oscar wakes up and discovers a lion uh, where his mum and dad should be. And it kind of made me think that you could make links to um, the tiger who came to tea. What, and do those kind of wondering, what, I wonder what it would be like if this animal came to your house. I wonder what kind of day out you'd have. Uh, with with that creature, or what characteristics you know would would they have? Um, it does deal with some grandparent loss and grief. It's a little bit quirky, and I kind of like that. It was something different. It's it's kind of a bit layered to it. There's things that will wash over some children's heads, um, and the grandparents have um, come over as migrants to. Britain um, fleeing from Nazis in in the wartime so there's little references to that and one of the things that I really like about it is that uh, Oscar has um, a picture book that is his favourite and he can read harder stuff than that but he loves this book and comes back to it Um, and there's a part in it where the lion reads it to him with all the voices and when it's finished he doesn't say no no more he reads it to him um five times over and there's just a sense of um giving of time with that um i spotted i asked uh, some of the uh uh, reading rocks community on twitter about what they were reading to their class and there was a teacher that said that they'd read this with their class uh, as one of their previous reads so she she sent me so she's from galleons primary school in beckton in east london now uh, this this little review from one of the girls who absolutely loved it in a year four class contains a bit of a spoiler so i'm going to spoiler alert if you don't want to know what happens at the end and it's right right at the end that we're revealed about this then close your ears now um i think this book was very fun and imaginative who knew a boy's granddad could be a lion this story was exciting action-packed funny and just amazing because of how much description there was in the story, it was very easy to imagine and play out in my head. Every single emotion had lovely descriptions, anger, uh, sadness, joy. Each and every moment was valued. The story idea, it, set, it felt magical and I never read a book quite like this. Oscar's Lion was so real, I felt as though I was Oscar myself. This story was fun and enjoyable. I hope other people like it too. Oscar's line was very nice and I had a fun time reading it. I could read it 50 times and not get bored. I thought that was a lovely little review. So I'm just going to read a tiny bit from chapter one. 
When Oscar woke up that Friday morning, he had no idea that a massive and very wild animal had entered his house. He'd been dreaming, images rushing through his mind like a raging river. The dream had seemed important, as dreams can, and he tried to hold on to the churning pictures. They vanished, though, so he sat up, reached over to his bedside table and grabbed it. Not just a book. The book. His complete and absolute favourite, Mac and the Lost Truck. Oscar stared at the shiny cover. The book was too young for him now, but he didn't care because it was special. He got out of bed, about to run along the landing to his parents' room. Then he stopped. Odd. On a school day, Oscar's parents normally woke him up at 7.15, but the clock on his wall said 7.25. They must have overslept. So Oscar hurried towards their bedroom door, clutched the handle and turned it. He pushed the door open, expecting, of course, to see the familiar sleeping forms of his mum and dad. Two long mountain ranges that he still loved climbing on. But Oscar did not see his parents lying there. Their duvet was quite flat. And sitting on it was something that stopped Oscar in his tracks, so that all he could do was stare. A lion. A very big and very male lion. Ah, said the lion, turning to look at Oscar. Oscar didn't reply. He simply couldn't, of course. He just blinked, and the lion's massive head and shaggy black mane at the huge paw the lion had been licking was now setting back down on the bed in slight embarrassment. Oscar scanned the bedroom, taking in some bits of paper held down by a paperweight on his mum's dressing table and a chair on which a pile of clean washing was tottering, waiting to be put away. When he turned back to the bed, the lion grimaced in an apologetic sort of way and winced at him. There's the lion. Mm. I'll tell you what. There's a lot, isn't there, of um, parent animal replacements. I'm thinking of Gorilla and Anthony Brown. You know, there, yeah. it's like a an intertextuality link. It's that thing you said about the tiger that came to tea, you know, um, finding similar sort of images and tropes in stories. And yeah. um, I think as our reading curriculums get better, um, kids love doing that, you know, like those wider connections, you know, the, the, the web of reading yeah. from who and who's got a lion in their bed and all of that jazz. <laughs> In agent provocateur underwear. <laughs> and on yeah, that note, well. maybe, you know, maybe we should say goodbye and leave that image with everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, uh, it's always a pleasure, Heather. Um, when I get down to your neck of the woods, uh, I'm going to do some ironing for you and uh, <laughs> take to a laundry shop. But uh, in the meantime, it's uh, big love. From Heather and Heartbursts. From Jane. See you next week. See you, everyone.